some point in life, we all have to ask ourselves, what are we for? How will we make a difference in our time and place? Because we have been called. Called to rise up and attempt great things for the kingdom. A kingdom that is bigger than a city. It's bigger than a state or even a country. It's a kingdom that covers the globe. And unlike realms of the past, whose rulers have faded with history, our king is alive. And he has called us to spread the good news of hope and love, to build up a community that impacts the world for good, to make our mark for his kingdom. Oh, good morning, good morning, church. It's so good to be together. Wow, what a great morning of worship already. And we can already feel the presence of God in this place. And love what God's doing here at our Franklin campus, also our Nolensville campus and our Belmont Heights campus, and then people watching online, and God is doing a great work. And we are one church, right? Many locations, but what God is doing here. And this morning, we're beginning this brand new initiative. And it's all of our campuses together. We're all on the same page going forward and so excited about what God's doing as we live our lives for the kingdom. Now, here's the question this morning. Here's the question. It's this. What are you for? What are you for? You see, we're all for something, right? I got to tell you some things I'm for. One, I'm for the Titans. I am. I, okay, I, I, I grew up in Texas, so I was an Oilers fan when I was a little kid. My dad, we were all Oilers fans. We cheered for Love You Blue, Earl Campbell, the whole thing right there. And then I moved to Tennessee, and like the Oilers came right behind. So it was like the Titans moved here. And so I've always been for the Titans. Maybe this is our year. Who knows? You know, right, right? So always hope, right? And so, but even more than that, I am for the Predators. Anybody else for the Preds? Yeah, right, you know. I, I grew up in Texas, so I wasn't a hockey fan. I didn't know hockey much, you know. But then I get here, and it's like awesome. I mean, you go to the games, it's fast-paced, it's so fun. And, and the Preds are just involved in the community. They're awesome guys. And, and I just it became a big Preds fan, so I'm for the Preds. I am for chips and queso. I got to tell you, <laughs> anybody else, chips and queso? All right, I love it. We had one of our daughter's birthday. We had taste of queso. We found all the best queso in town, and we like have taste tests. We just love queso at our house. I am for a hot ribeye steak on the grill. Anybody else? I mean, that's, you're just like, yes. I mean, it's just, so yeah, I am for hot Krispy Kreme donuts, okay? When the hot light is on, I mean, it's just so Good. I am for these things. Now, everybody's for something, right? You think about what the things that you're for. And some people, man, you can just tell what they're for. I mean, they post it all over Facebook or all over Instagram. You're just like, man, they are for that, right? Okay, you got bumper stickers on the car. You know, you go to their house and they are for UT or they are for Alabama, right? You know it, right? Or they are for Disney. I mean, you can tell. Hey, I are for it, man. They're in it to win it, right? All the princesses, they got it, right? Everybody's for something. Now, here's what I'm really for, okay? I, I'm for Jesus. I got to tell you guys, I am for Jesus. I mean, amen. I mean, Jesus came into my life when I was eight years old, and my life has never been the same. I haven't gotten over it, man. I just fall more in love with Jesus every day. I'm so excited about what God's doing in the world. I'm so thankful for my Savior who died on the cross for my sins. I am for my wife. I love my wife. I mean, she is awesome. She's beautiful. She's smart. She's amazing. She's a great mom. I am for her. I'm for my kids. I am for 
my kids. I've got three kids. I've got elementary, middle, and high school, and I am for them. There is nothing they can do to make me love them any more, and there's nothing they can do to make me love them any less. I am for them. I am their biggest fan. I believe in them. I am for them. And I am for you, church. I am for everybody who calls Rolling Hills home. I am for you. I pray for you. I believe in you. I want the best for you. I am for you, and I am for us as the body of Christ. Because as a church, I know, I know God is doing something incredible here. He's brought us from all over the country for a time such as this. He's brought people from all over California, Chicago. He's brought people from England. He's brought people all here for a time such as this. And we are in this thing. And what I love about our church is, man, we are for the kingdom. We are for seeing God change lives and transform hearts. We are for baptism. I mean, that was awesome this morning. We are for strong marriages. We are for families. We are for raising up the next generation in Christ. We are for preschool and children and students. And God's hand is on them. We are for family ministry. We are for local ministry. We're for the PATH Project and for Shower Up and 413 and GraceWorks. We are for international ministry and what's happening in Moldova and the Amazon and South Africa and around the world. We're for it. You know why? Because as God's church, as God's church today, we are for the kingdom. We are in an incredible series last time in this series on prayer. and Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come on earth. Your will be done. Right? We are the kingdom bearers. We are the ones to say, hey, there is a greater God out there who is the great I am and who is working in this world. And we are the ones to be for the kingdom. And so this morning, we're starting this new initiative. And it's 50 days. It's going to be from September 26th to November 4th, 50 days. And I'm going to challenge all of us to pray and invest for the kingdom. To invest and just say, hey, I want to live my life for the kingdom. I want to pour into prayer. I want to pour into my family. I want to pour into be the man or woman that God created me to be. I want to live for the kingdom. And that's what we're going to do together. And I'm so excited about it. Now, in this series, we're going to study a period of history for the Israelites, the children of God back in the Old Testament. It was one of their greatest periods of their history. And we're going to see what God has to say to us as his children today as we live our lives for the kingdom. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles. It's in the Old Testament, uh, back there in the first and second sections. So 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, that whole area right back there, kind of toward the front a little bit of the Old Testament. But 1 Chronicles chapter 28. Now, if you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles in the back. You can grab one. They're back by those poles. Just grab a Bible, put your name in it. It's yours. Also, we're going to put the words on the screen, and you can follow along with what God's Word has to say, or check it out on your mobile device. Also, when you came in this morning, you'll see this really amazing. I mean, this is awesome. I'm like, wow. Uh, this whole journey guide. And in here, one of the tabs is for sermon notes. So we don't have those little sermon note things that are in your worship guide today. We just have blank page right there on page 24. If you want to take notes today, and you can follow along and write those things down that God's going to teach us this morning from his word and make some notes along with us. So here we go. I'm going to set us up, okay, to get to 1 Chronicles 28. I got to go all the way back to Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, 1, God created, right? God created the heavens and the earth. God created. God in the beginning was God, okay? Nothing else, just God. God is the Alpha and the Omega. And God created this whole world. He created everything here. And then he made man. And God made man for a relationship with him. So if you ever wonder why you were created, what are you doing here on this earth? God made you for a relationship with him. And, and life's not going to make sense until you get this relationship right. 
until we really focus in here. And so God made Adam and Eve, and he put them in this beautiful garden. He said, all this is yours except this one tree. Don't eat from this tree. And they go, that tree? You know, and so there they go, and they take, and they sin. And now you've got sinful man, holy God. Sinful man, holy God. But God didn't give up on them just like God doesn't give up on us. Praise God. That's the gospel right there. And God begins to pursue his people. And he's going to make atonement for their sins. And so he calls a guy named Abram who's living in the earth of Chaldeans, Genesis 11 and 12, and says, Abram, leave your country, your people, and go to a land I will show you. And Abram does. It's a journey of faith. That's the journey of faith, trusting God, following God. And, and Abram leaves, and he comes to this Israel, this place, this promised land that God has for him. And, and he, his descendants begin to multiply, and God has his hand on him and says, I'm going to give you all these descendants, and from you, I'm going to bring the salvation of the world, the Messiah. I'm going to carve out this people for myself, and ultimately Jesus is going to come from this group of people. Well, things are good in the land. Then a famine hits. They all head down to Egypt. God provides for them in Egypt. And then after a while, the Egyptians enslaved them, but God's still taking care of them, carving out this people. And then they call out for a deliverer, and God sends Moses. And Moses goes down and says to Pharaoh, let God's people go. And Pharaoh says, no way. They're an economic boom, right? I got all these slaves, and they're building my stuff. And, and he's like, but you're not God. He's God. And after 10 plagues, Pharaoh goes, you're right, I'm not God, he's God. And a million people, now think about this, slaves walk out. They walk out of Egypt, they cross the Red Sea, God parts the sea, the Egyptians follow, the sea crashes in on them, and they are in the desert now, headed back to the promised land. And God takes care of his people in the desert. A million people, and God feeds them, and God gives them water from a rock, manna, and quail to eat. And then God says, hey, here's 10 commandments. I want you to know how to live as my people. And in fact, I want you to build a tabernacle. I want you to build a mobile worship center in the center of your camp. And all everybody's going to camp around it. we got a picture of it. We're going to camp around it and put the tabernacle right in the center. A million people all camped around to say right here, God's presence in this place. And so the Ark of the Covenant where God dwelled in the tabernacle and all the people with God for 40 years, God sustained them. And then they came into the promised land. God drove out the giants before them and God established them. And they get in the land and they look around and they go, well, everybody else has a king. We want a king. And God goes, well, I'm your king. No, we want, a, we want another king, right? And God's like, really? Come on, you know? But then they anoint this guy, Saul, and Saul, you know, he doesn't really work out well. And so God says, well, let me give you a king who has a heart for me. And he anoints this guy, David. And David just has a heart for God. And God's hand is on David. David wins every battle he fights, right? Takes on this giant Goliath, dominates him, right? And then he's just like off and running. He's winning every battle. And he makes Israel a world power. God's hand is on Israel. And David moves the capital to Jerusalem. And, and he sets up there in Jerusalem. And, and all the people are blessed. And man, their territory extends. And God gives them houses they didn't build and vineyards they didn't plant. And one night, David's walking around on his palace roof. And he's looking at all these things. And all the people have houses. And David's in this palace. And then he looks down and sees the tent. And he sees the tabernacle. And he thinks, why am I living in a palace and God's dwelling in a tent? Guys, let's do something to build a temple right here in the center of our community, a place where everybody knows, hey, we're the people of God. Let's do it together. So 1 Chronicles 28, it says, David summoned all the officials of Israel to assemble at Jerusalem. The officers over the tribes, the commanders of the divisions in the service of the king, the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of all the property and livestock belonging to the king and his sons. 
together with the palace officials, the warriors, and all the brave fighting men. I guess the cowards didn't get invited. It was only the brave fighting men, right? Only the brave people are here today. King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God, and I made plans to build it. But God said to me, You are not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and have shed blood. Look at verse 6. He said to me, Solomon, your son, is the one who will build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever if, if he is unswerving and carrying out my commands and laws as is being done at this time. David, you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. So now I charge you in the sight of all Israel and of the assembly of the Lord and in the hearing of our God, be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. Guys, here's what I know about David. David, David was for the kingdom. David was for the kingdom. David said, hey guys, let's do something great for the glory of God. And he calls all the leaders together. He calls all the people together. And he says, I had this dream to build this in the center of our community. And God says, hey, you're older now. You've shed a lot of blood. It's going to be your son Solomon. And so he gets Solomon and he brings him up in front of all the people. And he says, Solomon, I'm challenging you. I'm encouraging you. I want you to do this for the glory of God. Of God. Now notice a couple things. David spoke. Look at verse 9. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. He says, Solomon, listen, it starts with the heart. Are you going to be a man after God's heart? Are you going to be a man who loves God? God's going to have great things for you to do, and he's going to bless you, but, but it starts with your heart. You hold on to him, and David spoke it. You, you know, as parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles, what are we telling our kids that we're for? What are we saying to them is important to us? See, I was a Titans fan, right, or an Oilers fan, because my dad was. I mean, really, you know, and then I followed along. It's like, but, but what are we passing on? What are we teaching those who come behind us? What are we saying? Sometimes we go, well, you know, I'll just kind of live it. You know, but they're going to pick up on what we say. Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road. Talk about them when you lie down and when you get up. And guys, for us, all of us, man, the opportunity we have to speak truth, to speak hope, to speak life, to speak to our kids or our grandkids or our nieces, our nephews or those who come behind us and say, hey, this is what I'm for. It's amazing. In today's society, we outsource everything, right? At work, we outsource our printing. We outsource our cleaning. At home, we outsource our cooking to restaurants. But don't outsource your parenting, you and I have this incredible privilege, this opportunity. What are we passing on? What are we saying? We are for David spoke it. Second thing is you see, David challenged. David challenged. Look at verse 10. Consider now, Solomon, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house as the sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Be strong and do the work. He's challenging him. 
You know, we challenge our kids to do a lot of things, right? We challenge them academically. We want you to get A's. We challenge them. We, we challenge them in sports. We want you to be good. You know, we even reward them. We had one of our children who loved to play soccer, but that wasn't her thing. But we said, hey, we'll give you a dollar if you score a goal. Then it was 25 cents if you just kicked the ball. You know, we kind of are learning. Like, okay, maybe it's tennis. You know, it's like, I mean, but you know, you learn. But we, we challenged them. We want you to be better. We want you to get good. We want you to do these things. But are we challenging our kids spiritually? Are we saying, hey, God's got a call on you. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to be a leader at your school. I want to encourage you to be a leader, you know, one day in your workplace. I want, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you to read the Bible. I want to encourage you to pray. I want to encourage you to give. I want to encourage you to serve. I, I want to challenge you. There's a guy in our church, and, and his children are all grown, and they're out of the house. But, you know, he's got a group text, and every day he's, like, sending a verse or sending a prayer or sending something. He goes, you never stop parenting, right? You never do, you know. So he's just, like, challenging him. David challenged. And then look at this. David modeled. David modeled. Keep going right here. It says, then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the portico of the temple. It's buildings, it's storerooms, it's upper parts, it's inner rooms and the place of atonement. He gave him the plans of all that the Spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord and all the surrounding rooms for the treasuries of the temple of God and the treasuries of the dedicated things. Verse 19, all this, David said, I have in writing as a result of the Lord's hand on me and he enabled me to understand all the details of the plan. David says, hey, look, I've been staying up at night. I've been praying. I've been working on this. I've got plans. I've got detailed plans. I'm ready to go. And I'm going to give this to you. He modeled it. You know, you can tell what people are for by where they spend their time and where they spend their money. Right? You can tell all of us. Right? You just look at our calendar. You look at our visa statement. You can say, hey, this is what they're for. Right? And David's going, this is what I'm for. And I'm going to model that. I'm not just going to say, hey, do as I say and not as I do, right? I'm going to say, I'm going to do as I do. I'm going to live it out. Watch this. This is important. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Your obedience to God matters. And our obedience as his church matters. David's obedience to God, man, it impacted generations. It impacted Solomon. It impacted his grandkids, his great-grandkids. In fact, this temple they would build, It'll stand for 300 years. It'll be destroyed for a short time, then rebuilt and stand for another, you know, 600 years, 900 years. These will be the same stones that one day Jesus, the Messiah, will walk on some of these stones. Your obedience matters. Our obedience matters. This summer, uh, I was with our mission team in Moldova and you know, Moldova, the smallest, poorest country in the former Soviet Union over between Ukraine and Romania. And we go over to work with orphans there whom we just love. And we, we've just fallen in love with these orphans. And we started Justice and Mercy International and all this work that's happening. We have 20 full-time people now working in Moldova. But we were with one of the, the leaders of the church, one of the big churches there in Moldova. And some of their leadership, we met with them. And they were telling us the story about their church. Their church is 110 years old. And they said, you know, when communism came in, and communism said there is no God, right? And communism came in, and they, they destroyed the church building. But they said they couldn't destroy the church. And the church would meet in homes. The church would meet underground. Many of their pastors were thrown in prison. Many of their leaders at church were taken off to Siberia. I mean, these people sacrificed it for Christ. 
But they said, we just held on, and we kept praying and kept praying. And, and then through the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, man, it was tough. The KGB would come in, and there was a lot of persecution that we endured. In the 70s, though, we, we applied to be a registered state church. And, and the communists kind of laughed. They would mock us all the time. But, but, but our grandparents, they would go, and they would meet with them and talk to them. And, and they said, hey, we want to build a building back. And the communists said, okay, we'll give you the trash dump outside the city. But you have to pay for it, the trash dump. Well, the people all got together, and they, they got all their money, and they pulled all their money together. And these people are poor, okay? And they put all their money together, and they bought the trash dump. They bought the trash dump, and throughout the 70s, they started working in the trash dump, cleaning up the trash dump, and they started building, and they worked together. Some families would build, you know, at their own home, they would build a door. Another family would build a pew. Another family would build part of the stage. And, and in 1980, they opened the biggest church building that's ever been in Moldova. And they opened it on this place that was a trash dump. You know what happened 10 years later? Communism fell. And the church still stands. Why? Because the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. The church stands. And we were there two months ago. We went to worship there at this church. And that morning, there was about 500 people crowded in the church. And there was, there was 13 people who were being baptized that day. And I was watching these people who were baptized. And I just thought, wow, do they have any clue about the people who went before them who sacrificed so that they could be making decisions for Christ. They could be impacting their families. Wow. I just thought, wow. What's amazing, too, is that the city of Chisinau grew, and as it grew, you know what? That church is sitting now in the center of Chisinau because the city grew around it. And God just goes, watch this. I'll take a trash dump, and I'll make something beautiful, and I'll make something that outlast communism or any other movement that's against me. You know, guys, as you think about it, David had his time, and people who've gone before us, your grandparents, great-grandparents, maybe they had their time, but this is our time. This is our time. And what are we going to do for the kingdom? What difference will we make for the glory of God? As a part of this initiative and what we're going to do together from this day, September 16th till November 4th, is we're going to pray. We're going to pray, God, what do you want to do through us? And then we're going to invest. We're going to invest together. And there's five different areas that we're going to invest in. First, we're going to be investing in the next generation. We're going to be investing together in the next generation. We have an incredible family ministry here. But you know, when we bought this warehouse, you know, we were a five-year-old church who was meeting in a movie theater and God gave us this big building. We were like, what are we going to do? We didn't even build children's space. We were like, oh, you know, young single adults or young marrieds without kids. And we moved in here and all of a sudden it's like, wow, there's kids everywhere, you know. And so one of the first things we did is we rallied the church and we all gave over and above our tithe and we, we built this Main Street area. And if you go in there on Sunday mornings, man, it is packed out. Kids are fired up. They're so excited to be learning about Jesus and learning worship songs. It's great. And then we came back and said, but there's a ton of babies around. What are we going to do? And so a couple of years later, we all rallied together again, and we gave over to Bob. We built this preschool space, and it's amazing. I mean, it's just awesome. And so on Sunday mornings, but also we have a learning center that's packed out during the week. I mean, hundreds of kids coming up and hearing about Jesus, and it's just exciting. But, you know, we never built student space. We never did. We didn't build middle school or high school space. Now all these kids are growing up, okay? <laughs> They're all moving up. And what if together we can invest and we can build space 
for kids, for students, for middle school and for high school. You know, we have three tenants here, right? We have Naxos, we have Comcast, and we have the state of Tennessee. All our foster care comes through our building, and it's been fantastic. But, but Naxos is moving out of their warehouse, so we just picked up 30,000 square feet of warehouse space in March of next year. And so what we would like to do, and you can look at it in your journey guide. We'll put a couple of pictures up here. We want to build middle school and high school space, middle school auditorium and worship, and then hangout space, and even move into the parking lot and put in some basketball courts and, and have a place where students can invite their friends and they can say, come on, be a part of this. When I was growing up, my family, we drove 25 minutes to go to church. And we drove every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. And it was the best decision my family ever made. I'll be honest. I mean, I'm telling you, my sister and myself, we grew up in an incredible student ministry. We had a great children's ministry, student ministry. We were at a big church. It made such an impact and a difference. We had friends from school and then all these other schools. You would come to church and people would pour into us. We had adult leaders that poured into us. And I'll tell you who I am today because people poured into me. And I had friends. There was like reverse peer pressure, Right? It wasn't like, hey, are you drinking or smoking and stuff? You get it at school. You come here, you're like, hey, are you reading your Bible? You know, are you praying? Are you, are you obeying your parents? Are you like, you're like, yeah. You know, it's, it's like it impacted so many people. We can do that together. We're investing in the next generation. Also, as a part of this, we need a new home for our Nolensville campus. It's exciting. It's growing. But, guys, we need a new home in Nolensville and place to meet. We've been meeting at Nolensville Elementary, set up and tear down every week. Incredible what they're doing and what we're doing. But... We need a new place. We need a new home for our Belmont Heights campus. We just launched a campus in downtown Nashville. It's so exciting. But God's bringing people all the time. And we need a new home. We also need a new adult space here in Franklin. And, and you guys, I don't know if you notice this, but it's getting kind of full in here, which is pretty exciting, you know. But you also notice there's a big pole in the way. So it's like, what size is he going to be on, you know. It's like, where's, where's he going? But we can come in here. We can move this pole. We can expand some space. We can have more space in here. And just imagine if every one of us invited one friend to church. I mean, where would we be, you know? And so the opportunity for us to continue to reach out to our community, continue to grow. We also need more Bible study spaces, Wednesday night Bible study offerings. We need more parking space. You know, we can expand into the land next door and build some parking space. I know you guys have been so awesome. One of the parking guys said, hey, last week we were at 25 cars in overflow, and it was amazing. But everybody was so, you know, just great about it. Everybody was like, yeah, this is awesome. We're growing. But we can grow into that and build that. And then also, two transitional living homes for orphans in Moldova. You guys, we have two homes in the north. We have two homes in the central part. But now to have two homes in the south with 20 full-time staff there, social workers, psychologists, and, you know, vocational directors, we will have access for every orphan and vulnerable child in that entire country. How incredible to think about a country that's been a source for human trafficking, that we can be a part of stopping that. And saying, no more, no more in this country. And guys, it's going to be all of us locking arms and doing that together. It's a God-sized assignment. I get it. It's going to take a lot of us. But it's going to take prayer and giving and over and above. I mean, we're looking at probably 8 to $10 million to do everything. To do it all. But you know what? We moved into here. We didn't have a clue what we were going to do. But God just blessed. And now I'm saying for us today, it's our time to pray, to give, to believe. You know, Jesus is for the kingdom. Jesus is for the kingdom. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, he said this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on this earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But rather store up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
Where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in the steel. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is and what you invest in, that's where your heart is. And that is so true. And so for all of us, guys, we want to be for the kingdom. We want to be for the kingdom. We want to do this in this day, in this generation. The vision statement of Rolling Hills Community Church, we are a people of God. We're his church today. You know, you had the children of Israel, you had the people of God back then. We're the church. We're the people of God reaching out. This isn't a country club, right? It's not just, hey, we all made it in, great, high five, which just us. Reaching out. There's 80 to 100 people a day moving to Middle Tennessee. I think the census for 2017 was 109 people a day. People are coming. They need to hear about Jesus. People of God reaching out, growing up. We want to mature in our faith. And I pray these next 50 days are going to be spiritual growth on steroids. I really do. I pray that we are just praying, locking arms together, praying with our families, believing God's best, and giving all. Not just saying, hey, God, here's a tip. You know, thanks for my big house and cars and all these things. I, God, I want, to, I want to give. I want to invest for your name. Now, this is a God-sized calling, and it will take all of us. It will. If you're part of Rolling Hills, this is our time together. About six years ago, when we first started talking about building the preschool space, we had a meeting with some of our leaders, and, and we were meeting, and we kind of brought everybody together to pray. And Darren Clark, he came to the meeting, and, and Darren and Carrie have four boys. And he said, you know what, my second oldest, Caleb, I can't find a babysitter. Carrie's got the other two, and Caleb was probably about 10 at the time. And he said, can I just bring Caleb with me? He'll sit in the corner, he'll read a book, it's fine. And I'm like, yeah, sure, come on. And so we're all meeting and we're talking around the table, talking about preschool space and talking about the need and how you know, we're having babies and we want them to hear about Jesus and grow up in the Lord and learn songs and learn scripture. And, and you could see Caleb reading his book, but he was kind of looking up the whole time too. You know, you're looking at him and all of us around the table. And we got to the end and we started to pray and Caleb stands up and he comes from out of the corner and he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out and he had $4. And he said, Guys, this is my allowance I got, and I just want to give it. I, I believe in this. And he goes, I got two younger brothers who are going to be over there, and I want to give this. <laughs> I was so moved. I'm telling you, I wrote a note. Caleb Clark on 5, 15, 12. I keep it in my desk. Caleb's now a junior. He's a, he's a leader in our student ministry, and God's using him in a great way. And I just thought, man, to watch that kid. I thought, that's awesome. But, you know, it's your kid's. It's my kids. It's our kids. It's this community. But it's also kids around the world. This summer when we were in Moldova, we sat down with a, a, a young man named Sava. And Sava told us his story. And Sava said when he was about three years old, his mom dropped him off at the orphanage and said, hey, I'll be back to see you. And she never came back. And Sava says, I was a terrible kid. I was always in trouble the teachers were always mad at me. I was rebellious. And he said, it was hard growing up in the orphanage. In fact, he said, you'd be in class, and if they called on you and you missed an answer, they would slam your head in the wall, and they would hit you. He goes, I just hated my life. He said, when I was 11 years old, a social worker called. I went down to the principal's office, and the social worker got on the phone and said, Sava, if you could talk to your mom, what would you say to her? And he said, I got excited because I thought, I'm going to get to talk to my mom, and and he said, I don't know. I don't know what to say. And, and, and she said, well, your mom died yesterday and the funeral's tomorrow, so you can go say your last goodbyes. Whatever you wanted to say to her, you could say. 
He said, I started crying. I, I didn't know what to do, but he said, I went to the funeral, and, and there I found out I had a brother. I had a brother named Tudor. And Tudor started to come visit me, and he would show up, and I was still mad, and I was angry. And about two years later, when I was 13, Tudor came and said, Sava, you wouldn't believe it, but I got into this home. It, it's called Justice and Mercy International. It's a transitioning home for for guys like us who have to leave the orphanage at 15 and have nowhere to go. And he said, and I've learned about God. And, and he said, I've learned English. And he said, Sav, if you work really hard, maybe one day you can get in this home. And he said, it just changed me. He said, now I had hope. And he said, I turned it around. I started making good grades. And I did everything I could. And Sava now is in this home. He's in our transitional living home. He's one of our boys to leaders. And I was with Sava, and, and, and I was going back with him. You can see him right here. And he's going with us into the orphanage just now. And he's telling these kids about Jesus. And he's telling them about the hope that they have in Christ. And he's learning English. And you're watching this kid going, his whole life has changed. Because this little church there in Middle Tennessee says, hey, we want to invest in something that's out going to outlast us. We want to invest in God's kingdom and for God's glory. Guys, this is our time. So let's build something great together for the glory of God. Let's do something that's going to outlast us. You know, really, this is your life. And it's also your legacy. Arthur Ashe says, what we get, what we get makes a living. What we give makes a life. And when you give your time, you give your prayers, you give your energy, you give your passion, I want to tell you, it makes a legacy. And David, this is David's legacy we're going to study about for these next seven weeks. Something God used him because David invests for the kingdom, God's kingdom, and not just his own. Not just building bigger palaces for himself, but saying, hey, I want to build something for the glory of God. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to challenge you, I'm going to challenge all of us for 50 days. For 50 days. Days, would you invest for the kingdom? Would you pray for 50 days? Would you maybe, if you've never even prayed with your spouse, or with your family, or would you start maybe to say, hey, this is going to be the time. Now, guys, it starts with the heart. Just like David said to Solomon, it starts here. So if you're here today and you've never committed your life to Christ, why not today? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not by works. And if you thought it's all been about works, it's not by works. It's a gift of God, lest no man should boast. And maybe today it's just saying, Lord, I, I surrender. I give my life to you. I want to follow you. I want to be a Christ follower. Maybe, maybe God's calling you to commit. Maybe God's been speaking to you about being baptized. And over these next 50 days, you're saying, hey, that's it. I want to be baptized. I'm doing it. I'm going to stop pushing it down the road. I'm doing it. Maybe during these next 50 days, you're saying, hey, I'm going to get in a men's group or a women's group or a community group or somewhere. Or I got other believers challenging me. But for 50 days, when we pray as a body of believers, and then November 4th, we give over and above our tithe, we invest in God's kingdom for God's glory. You know, whenever you make a commitment, right, you, you symbolize that commitment. When I stood and made a commitment to my wife, Lisa, we put a ring on to symbolize that commitment we made. And this morning, we have something to give you that, that would symbolize this commitment over 50 days. These are groove rings. A guy in our church, Peter Goodwin, started this company about three years ago, and it has just blown up. These things are all over. They're the hottest thing out there right now. And Peter has donated 3,000 for us so that we could have them. There's black rings for guys. There's white rings for the ladies, and, or you can switch it up. It doesn't matter. But if you want to wear this ring, right, and just say, hey, every time I see it, I'm going to pray. 
I'm going to pray for what God's going to do. Or maybe you put it on a chain. Maybe you put it in your car. Maybe you put it in your bathroom. But for 50 days and say, hey, we're going to commit together. We're going to commit together. Inside your journey guide, there's a little ring. You can pick your ring size. You can maybe place a ring that you have on there. You can find the ring size. And at the end of the service, in the very back of the room, there's men's rings, there's women's rings, and you can go back and get a ring, and that's for you. These are normally $40 rings, and then Peter made them for us and said, hey, here you go, church. This is my church. I believe in it, and I believe in what God's doing. Here's the thing, right? William Carey says, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Guys, for us, let's do it together. Let's do it together. You know, first... Chronicles 28 ends with David saying this to Solomon. In verse 20, David also said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do the work. There's work to be done, guys. Be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. These next 50 days are gonna be awesome. And God's going to do what only God could do. And we get to be a part of that together. Let's pray right now. Father God, thank you. God, I'm so excited about these next 50 days. God, I just think about people who had their day and their generation. And Father, who were faithful. Like, like David, like these believers in Moldova, God, who, who faced suffering. And yet they sacrificed. And, and God, now the generations come to us here at Rolling Hills. And I pray, God, that we would be faithful. I pray, God, that you would find us and, and look at us and, Father, that you have blessed every one of us. God, we live in the wealthiest society that's ever existed. <laughs> and, and yet, God, Father, I pray that you would grow us deeper in our faith in these next 50 days than we've ever been. I pray that you would grow our marriages or our future marriages, that you would grow our families, that you would grow us to be men and women after your heart, that we'd be fully devoted to you. God, that we wouldn't get caught up in the things that are trivial, but God, we would invest in things that are eternal. And so, Lord, do a work in us. Call us, Father, to go deeper and to go further. God, we are your servants. We are your disciples. We are your church. And we commit to live our lives for your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen.